Death House. Rumors of disappearances in the town of Blackwater caught the attention of our heroes, Celine Argent and Talia Gray. When they arrived, they found the town covered in an ominous dark fog. As the pair of bounty hunters gathered information on the missing people, Celine sensed evil in the fog filling the streets, and used her magic to try to uncover its secrets. With the reluctant blessing of the town's sheriff, she and Talia ventured into the fog, unsure of what they might find within it. Along the waterfront, the pair followed the river's edge through the fog until they reached the looming shadow of a large house. Outside, two children begged Tally and Celine to find their parents and baby brother trapped inside the house, running inside when our heroes didn't immediately agree. Talia and Celine followed them inside, then decided it would be wiser to turn back and get help, but they found the front door impassable. The house did not intend for them to leave. As they explored the house, they pieced together its history, how it had belonged to a man named Durst and his wife Elizabeth, who had hosted what, at first, appeared to be simple, if debaucherous parties that turned into something darker eventually leading to the beginnings of her cult. Beneath the deadly house, they found a chamber with a statue of Vecna, a monument to the horrors within. The room was full of the corpses of former revelers and recent travelers, eviscerated and dismembered. Elizabeth Durst, her former beauty lost to the vampiric corruption that had taken hold, attacked Tally and Selene in a vicious assault that quickly depleted what remaining strength the two had after fighting their way through the basement. After flitting in and out of the shadows, striking, then disappearing into darkness, Elizabeth sank her claws and fangs into Celine, nearly draining all the life out of the cleric. Enraged, Talia threw a bottle of alchemist fire, causing the vampire to catch fire, preventing her from moving through the shadows. Talia was able to revive Celine, and they luckily avoided Elizabeth's next blow. Celine tossed Talia her shotgun, and Talia aimed for the head, bringing an end to Elizabeth Thirst. Back in Blackwater, Talia and Celine explained the house to the sheriff and the townspeople, and were rewarded for ending the scourge on the town. The fog had lifted, and the citizens could rest assured that no more disappearances would plague their town. Raven and the Gardener. After the Death House, Tally and Celine went east to Crankshaft, hoping to relax after their heroin experience. In Crankshaft, Tally hoped to take Celine to a beautiful garden that she remembered from her travels. But when they got into town and saw a poster offering 500 gold for repairing mining equipment, Tally was sure that this would be the easiest 500 gold they had ever made. They met Raven Crankshaft, daughter of the town's founder, Blitzen. Raven explained that she was having issues with her automated constructs meant to mine the coal in absence of actual miners. Her constructs had since been malfunctioning, so she needed two intrepid souls to venture into the mine and shut off the motivator that was attacking and killing the miners. Talia and Selene went into the mine to stop the constructs and retrieve the bodies of the miners. 
Instead, they found the motivator that Raven had claimed to have invented was actually a living creature. At first it attacked, but then they realized it could understand Nightspeak, a version of Sylvan that both Tally and Selene know. The creature told them that after being enslaved by Raven, it turned on its captor and attacked the miners. Irritated at being misled, Tally and Selene confronted Raven, thinking she may have stolen the creature, but she revealed she had found it after making a deal with a mysterious stranger who had come into town. She described him as having solid gold eyes and wearing a violet suit. To Talia's surprise, this matched the description of the broker, a man Talia had been searching for since her family had been butchered by an unknown group of murderers. The pair forced Raven to agree to return the creature to the place she found it, which just so happened to be the garden of the mountains that Talia had originally come to Crankshaft for. Once the creature was returned to the garden, it revealed its name. The Gardener of Titania. Their job finished, Talia and Selene were able to relax a bit before setting on the road to Airpike. The Red Tree Gang On their way to Airpike, Talia made a stop at a job board to see about any potential bounties. A pair of arsonists to the north, a group of bandits to the east, a missing woman to the northwest, and to the far west, an outlaw by the name of Zachariah Afield and his Red Tree gang of train robbers. As she showed this last poster to Celine, she watched the color drain out of the cleric's face. Celine knew this man. The trip to Airpike would have to wait, it would seem, until Celine could find answers. So they boarded a train and headed west to Bilvale. It wasn't long before the Red Tree Gang and its leader would show their faces and attack the same train they were traveling on. After an impromptu shootout with the outlaws, Talia and Celine stood victorious. When they went to check on the other train cars to make sure all the passengers were safe, they found a stranger, one whom Celine could not help but feel compelled towards. It was only after leaving the car that they realized, his eyes, they had been a lurid, solid gold. It was then that Talia had her opportunity to make a deal with the man she had been searching for across the district for years. Talia told the broker that she wanted help finding the three people who had murdered her family, even as Celine protested her involvement with this strange figure. But Talia would not be swayed. She told the broker what she wanted, and the broker said that he would help, at a price. Talia took the deal, binding herself to the broker, while Celine looked on in horror. When they exited the train, they realized that Zachariah had taken their horses. They really had no choice now but to go after him. Under cover of early morning darkness, the two went out into the desert. Talia was able to track Zachariah's trail all the way to the gang's hideout. Celine was able to persuade a lookout to let them speak to Zachariah, declaring herself an old friend of his. And so, they were taken to his hideout. There, she and Zachariah spoke sharing their stories, trying to understand what had become of one another. Once they were finished, Zachariah declared he could not let them go and turn them into the authorities. And so, they were forced to fight their way out of the encampment, killing his gang, capturing him, and reuniting with their horses. Zachariah was brought back to Vilvale to be executed by hanging. Celine stayed with him until the end, even using her magic to make his passing less frightening. 
but something did not sit right with Talia and Selene about how Zachariah had been treated. Being executed without trial, and though Selene did her best, she could not help but feel guilty. Poison on the River Back on the road to Airpike, Celine and Talia decided to take a riverboat ride up to the city rather than ride the whole way. On board, the pair found plenty of hedonistic activities available and committed to relaxing. At the bar, Talia and Celine met a woman who introduced herself as Delilah, a name that sparked some remembrance in Celine, although she couldn't remember where she'd heard it. After a nice conversation with her, Celine and Talia took to the dance floor, losing themselves in the music, until Celine suddenly felt ill. On their way back to their room, the pair were attacked at gunpoint by a mysterious figure who escaped before being identified. Realizing she had been poisoned, Celine took to healing herself while Talia complained to the boat captain and his security about the attacker. A guard was posted outside their door for the night, but in the morning, he had been shot dead by a trap laid by their assailant. Once the two remembered that it was Zechariah who had mentioned a Delilah from his past, they confronted her at the bar, slyly luring her into a trap. Celine allowed herself to be poisoned once more to prove Delilah's criminality, and Talia restrained her with a shot to the shoulder. The dead man's promise members aboard the vessel properly restrained her, so Celine and Talia were able to interrogate Delilah one last time before she was handed over to the authorities in Airpike. During their conversation, Delilah revealed that she had meant to be the one to kill Zachariah, and was infuriated that our heroes had beaten her to the punch. After coming to an agreement, Talia and Celine staged Delilah's execution and allowed her to escape before the riverboat adventure came to an end, and they disembarked for the city of Airpike. Welcome to Airpike. Upon arriving at Airpike, Tally and Celine immediately set out to find someone to upgrade Tally's weapons. Their search brought them to Nikki Tonar, a half-elf tinker and artificer. Much to our hero's surprise, Nikki had been following Tally and Celine's exploits through the newspapers and offered her skill as an exclusive weaponsmith to Tally and Celine. She also suggested that any enchanting or classic magical work that needed to be done should be taken to Ernest at the library atop the mesa. Within his magical shop hidden within a book, Ernest, a tiefling wizard and part-time instructor at the Airpark Academy, provided several magical services to Tally and Celine. Afterward, the two decided to relax, and Tally and Celine settled on a spa on the Upper Mesa. To make use of all the resources available in Airpike, Tally went back to the library, intent on finding information about Lycans and Faye. What little vague information she was able to find disheartened her. She did, however, find out a name and a motive to the genocide of her pack, a group of monster hunters called the Venasi motivated by religious fervor, appeared to be connected. While Talia was researching, the broker paid a visit to Celine, finding her in a far more compromising situation than she would have liked. During their conversation, he alluded to Celine's non-human nature, claiming that they had known each other for a very long time. Before departing, he asked her to find an open space under the moon, 
and think back to her earliest childhood memory. Day of the Mother Their mini-vacation in Airpack Complete, the two bounty hunters decided the arsonist scene around the town of Blue Peak with their next target. Along the road, Celine finds herself a private space and recalls her earliest memories. Visions of opening a door in a mulberry bush and finding a moonlit glade where magical creatures moved between the branches entered her mind. And while she never saw him, she heard the broker's voice telling her she could return any time she wished. When they finally arrived in Blue Peak, Tally and Celine went to the Cathedral of the Mother, the largest church of the goddess known as the Mother, which was where Celine grew up among other orphans. Any attempt to warn the head of the cathedral, Sister Mabel, about the arsonists, were met with doubt and a slight air of distrust even though this had been Celine's home. The trip was not a total loss, and our heroes were introduced to a small tiefling boy they had been told was a troublemaker. Prone to boredom and mischief, they took an instant liking to Jared, and even promised to visit and come back for him when he was an adult. After finding the least comfortable accommodations in town, Tally and Celine were once again accosted by the broker, who brought them into the Feywilds. There, he informed Tally that the arsonists nearby had what she needed to complete his deal. On the day of the mother, the mother's ball was in full swing, full of guests dancing and carousing and just generally having a good time. Tally and Celine, however, were on edge, with Talia sensing the siblings' presence. Unfortunately, it wasn't until Sister Mabel took her place at the top of the stairs to make a speech that Talia realized it was a trap. Mabel revealed herself to be John Zinn in disguise, and his sister joined him from above, wreaking havoc on the crowd, setting off a series of explosions to block the exits of the building. Tally and Celine leapt into battle, their weapons matched against the sibling's strange guns. When finally the two were dead, our heroes looted them and their weapons, and Talia picking up John's gun, an odd device that seemed to shoot some kind of dark energy. Before they left Blue Peak, Tally and Celine resolved not to leave Jareth behind at the orphanage, but they knew they couldn't take him with them. They decided to adopt him, making him Jareth Gray, and took him to the Blue Peak Pines Academy in Blue Peak. After meeting with one of the instructors, Talden, a wizard tiefling, they were confident they were leaving their son in good hands. On the road, Talia tried to understand why the broker wanted her to have John Zinn's gun. Out of nowhere, a voice whispered to her, revealing itself to be the gun, an artifact known as Death Whisper. He offered her a deal. He would help Talia with her list of three names. If in return, she would help him with his. She agreed and made a warlock's pact with Death Whisper. Celine, uncomfortable with Talia making this pact with the weapon, argued over the gun's intentions, but Talia refused to give it up. Tension rose between them, pushing them apart in a way that neither had yet experienced. Needing more answers about Celine's past, they went to her childhood home. They were surprised to find the small farming community had grown while she was away, her old home occupied by another family. 
Knowing the best way for a cleric of the Undertaker to find answers, Celine went to the cemetery close to the woods and contacted the spirit of her mother. Her mother cut off her no real answers, but did tell her that she had had an imaginary friend while growing up. A man with golden eyes. Dissatisfied, Celine went into the woods alone and searched for the door in the mulberry bush. There she found it, and beyond, the broker. He gave her no good answers, only confirmed that he was indeed her imaginary friend from childhood. Talia and Celine also learned more about the attack on their community when Celine was a child. One of the residents, a farmer named Ken, described an house that appeared and brought with it fog and undead. He spoke of seeing three strangers that came in and stopped the attack, leaving behind the Venossi calling card. Ken, now an old man, also mentioned a farmer and drifter named John Wayward that went to get help but never came back. Back to Airpike and the Forest Trail. A quick trip back to Airpike allowed Talia and Celine to get a chance to upgrade their current living arrangement by way of Ernest's ever-present estate. A magical pocket into the astral plane that held an actual house. Still in Airpike, Nikki was able to tell Talia that the gun she looted from John Zinn is a divine weapon and a piece of the old death god known as the Grim Reaper. Finished with their business in Airpike, Celine and Talia went back onto the woodland trail for some time away from the city. Along the way, Talia sought to further her connection with the wolf, and for the first time received an answer that granted her a keener sense of smell. Built from Pain Following the trail of some bandits from Airpike, our heroes picked up some information about a missing woman named Victoria Gresham, with a bounty for her safe return, so they struck out for the city of Uvendale. There they learned from the woman's stepfather, Daniel Vance, that she had gone missing before, and seemed to want to be left alone. He also revealed that Victoria Gresham and Elizabeth Durst, the vampire that Celine and Talia had killed in the death house, were sisters both with sordid pasts regarding death and loss. Talia and Celine told him of the connection to the death house and left him to decide whether he wanted them to continue. While they waited, they went to the local dead man's promise and constable office. There they met Joshua Wilburn, a senior member of the DMP. To avoid more conflict with the organization, he recommended that our heroes join their ranks. Talia and Celine were moved by Joshua's passion and agreed to join. The next day, after visiting Vance again, Talia and Celine were given permission to go after Victoria. They found the Gresham estate in one of the oldest areas of the city, a dilapidated husk of a home. Lurking within the walls were hellish creatures, grotesque amalgamations of machinery and flesh left behind by Victoria. Based on Victoria's notes left around the house, they learned she was trying to bring her daughter back from the dead using any means necessary. Horrified, Celine divided her location so they could stop her before her experiments took any more innocent lives. The Undertaker spelled out one word. Yaldan. The Battle for Yaldan. 
Natalia and Celine wasted no time heading to Yeldon, but they were too late to stop the carnage. Yeldon lay in ruins, with more advanced mechanical zombies prowling the streets. They managed to make it to a cluster of fortified buildings and met the town's only survivors. Some of the townsfolk volunteered to help our heroes dispatch the monsters, and so they were joined by several brave folk, including an old neighbor of Celine's from her childhood, John Wayward. An intense battle ensued. Hordes of mechanoid flesh beasts surrounded them under the leadership of one of Victoria's more advanced creations. Our heroes prevailed once more, but at the cost of precious time. Victoria was already on the move. But not wanting to leave Yaldon in its ruined state, they stayed behind to help bury the dead while reinforcements arrived. Before he left, John Wayward visited Talia and Celine, giving Talia the impression that he was more than what he seemed, and revealing to Celine that he was, in fact, the Warden, God of Roadways. He offered what help he could, transporting Celine and Talia instantly back to Ubendale. While they were away, Daniel Vance had passed in his sleep. Unable to gain information from his living self, Celine channeled the cleric power and conjured his spirit, from whom they learned Victoria's next location, Victoria's favorite estate, the estate where her daughter had been born, was in Blue Peak. Mother's Love A quick train and a hard ride got them to Blue Peak the next morning. People in the city had already gone missing, so they wasted no time traveling to the estate. Victoria was easily found, but our heroes were too late. They had finally come face to face with Victoria Gresham, but her goal had been accomplished. The corpse of her daughter, Elise, rose from her childhood bed, but not as a child. The thing, using Elise's voice to speak, looked little like any child Talia or Celine had ever seen, sewn together and combined with a monstrous spider-leg chassis. The creature attacked, but was quickly dispatched by Talia and Celine, much to Victoria's utter dismay. Constables arrived and arrested Victoria, but our heroes did not feel like they'd accomplished a victory. Too many innocent lives had already been taken in one woman's pursuit of resurrection. Before they left the house, Talia's keen sense of smell alerted her to the scent of fire, and she ushered everyone out of the house before its wooden frame caught and went up in a fiery blaze. A figure darted away from the burning wreck and Talia chased it, catching up in time to tackle a Venasi agent to the ground before he activated an amulet that burned him alive. The trip to Airpike with Victoria and the constables was an uncomfortable one, with the prisoner rioting in close company with our heroes. Suspicious of the somewhat smooth ride so far, Talia charmed Victoria into revealing that a rescue attempt was in motion. Sure enough, the Venasi attacked, destroying the prisoner carriage, but they were not successful in saving Victoria from justice. Talia and Celine were able to capture a Venasi agent, removing his suicide amulet. The group now on high alert continued on to Airpike at lightning pace. The People vs. Victoria Gresham Upon arriving in Airpike, Celine and Talia were taken to the constable station. There, Chief Constable Sarah Kremen and Captain James Wilde of the DMP awaited an explanation of the situation. Talia and Celine informed both authorities of the Venasi plot and Victoria's escape attempt. 
Captain Wilde then revealed to them that his family had been a part of the Venasi, and offered his own insight into the matter. After leaving the constable's office, Talia and Celine were approached by the Lord Mayor's military and had the evidence of Victoria's plans confiscated for the trial. The trial itself was a quick one. Victoria defended herself, but did nothing to create any sympathy for her plight. She was convicted and sentenced to hang in the same day, sparking suspicion in Talia and Celine, who placed a visible marking on Victoria's hand before she was taken to the gallows. Sure enough, after the hanging, it became evident that there had been a switch. The mark on the body brought down from the gallows did not vanish when Celine dispelled it. Talia used her tracking abilities to follow Victoria's trail, using an invisibility potion to sneak around undetected. Unfortunately, her efforts turned up nothing other than confirmation that Victoria was still alive. Celine used her own skill in divination to once again ask the Undertaker for some sort of direction, but his advice was vague, offering Celine only one word. Wait. Finding no reason to stay in Alpike after the sham of an execution, they made their way back to Vilvale to retrieve Zachariah's skull, something Celine had been wanting to do for some time. Along the way, Celine asked the Undertaker if it was against his wishes that remains be dug up, disturbing the spirit's rest. The Undertaker's response set Celine on edge for the rest of the journey, not at rest. And upon arriving at the Potter's Field, a small blue light could be seen floating among the graves. They wasted no time in digging up Zachariah's shallow grave. Once his skull was unearthed and cleaned, the blue light drifted into it suddenly calling out to Celine in Zachariah's voice. Season 2 of the Feywild West premieres on October 2nd, 2019 on the Let's Be Legendary podcast, with patrons as usual getting access to the episodes early. Let's Be Legendary is a queer-run podcast that releases once a week. We're able to maintain this schedule due to the amazing support you have all given us. Please go to iTunes and leave a rating and review to help us navigate the algorithms and allow others to find us. Spreading the word on social media doesn't hurt either. And if you like our podcast, we'd love to know why. We're on all major social media platforms and we have our own Discord server. We spend a lot of time there. If you'd like to help us out more, consider becoming a patron on Patreon. You'll get access to a ton of exclusives, including Bonus Round, a campaign run partially by our patrons. Until season two, stay legendary.